This is the Canadian Tax Podcast, episode number six, hosted by me, Cameron Ware. Good morning. Happy Monday. It is the week of April 5th, 2021. Uh, happy Easter to everyone who's doing that kind of thing. Uh, well, like always, we'll start with the news. Financial Post this week, talking about messing with the the possibility of, of Ottawa messing with the principal residence exemption, um, otherwise known as the uh, capital gains exemption on the sale of your uh, primary residence. Now, it doesn't have to be your, we'll call it your regular house house. I mean, it can be a vacation property, that kind of thing. All that uh, is required is that it the property uh, has been ordinarily inhabited uh, during that time. So if that's the case, you can apply. Anyway, it doesn't matter what... What's interesting to me is in the past, no politician or we'll say financial advisor, tax guy, whatever, no one in that business would even mention the possibility of messing with uh, with these uh, tax rules. Now, the fact that this has come up, not just in the Post article here, but I've been seeing a lot of this across... Uh, more than a few publications and you know chat discussions things like that it this had never ever happened in the past it was either career suicide or political suicide the fact that this is coming up now and is being i don't want to say broadly discussed i mean it's still a pretty niche area um it's only you know tax nerds like me that that really follow this stuff in in depth but the the thing is it's it starts at this level and then goes from there the fact that anybody is considering even discussing this leads it it just shines a light on sort of the the current tax climate in canada and what uh what people are are considering in terms of getting this uh the deficit under control with all the uh the covid stuff uh, fun fact, right now, the Canada's debt-to-GDP ratio is approximately 65%. So that's for, uh, we're in 2021 now. Last time it was at this level was the uh, early 90s, which is when we had um, uh, Krejcian and, and Martin in. And there were mutterings at that time that Canada was the quote-unquote banana republic of the north, and we were going to have the uh, the IMF bank have to come in and, and get things squared away up here. Most Canadians didn't like that. The politicians didn't like that. Decided sort of collectively that we need to get our house in order. And they did. GST went up. Uh, capital gains rates went up. Uh, talking with both clients and, and uh, people that I knew it from who lived through that. I, I was about six years old at that time. So it, <laughs> I wasn't paying attention to any of this stuff. But I guess the mood at the time was, yeah, something needed to be done. And it was. It it got sorted out. Canada actually got rid of the deficit, and uh, they're good good to go. And then you know, stuff happens and whatever. But point is, currently 2021, Canada's uh, debt to GDP ratio similar to what it was in the 90s. So this will need to get resolved somehow. And the principal residence exemption appears to be something that might be messed with. I can't tell you how or why. I mean, right now it's still like I said, it's just speculation by some tax guys. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if maybe we move to some sort of system similar to uh, what what the U.S. has uh, about two hundred fifty thousand uh, dollar capital gains exemption per individual or five hundred thousand for a married couple. Uh, anything in excess of we'll we'll say the five hundred thousand, maybe that triggers um, capital gains tax. But we'll uh, 
we'll have to see. I, I don't know with, with markets like Toronto and, and uh, real estate markets like Toronto and Vancouver, it, I, I, it's tough to say, but I would think that Ottawa is definitely eyeing uh, sort of the tax base that could, could come from taxing those, those sales. So something to think about anyway. Next item here, uh, Joe Biden down south, United States of America, greatest country on earth, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Mr. Biden is thinking of changing the corporate tax rates from 21% currently to about 28%. So that was actually his predecessor, Donald Trump. Uh, he messed around with uh, the, I think it was the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act and drop the corporate rates to 21%. Now Biden wants to bump back up to 28%. And then of course you have uh, state tax on top of that. But why this matters or, or uh, what listeners should pay attention to is additionally, Mr. Biden wants to mess with the global intangible low taxed income rates, aka the guilty rates, which I think is one of the worst acronyms that some clever congressman could think up. I prefer to refer to it as the uh, IRC subsection 951 cap A sub A, the actual tax uh, legislation in the Internal Revenue Code. Anyway, right now the rates are 10.5% and uh, Mr. Biden wants to, to bump them up to 21%. Why does this matter? Well, the uh, 951 cap A sub A legislation was supposed to chase after companies like Apple that had a whole pile of cash sitting offshore and wasn't being taxed by the U.S. They wanted to, to chase those guys. The problem was that legislation also affects the little, little guys. Uh, you have a U.S. citizen Canadian resident who has a Canadian corporation. Living in Canada has for, you know, 20-some years running his business. The 951 Cap A Sub A rules caught that guy. Uh, it was unintentional, but it did. And uh, now with the rates, they're uh, going to change 10.5% to 21%. That's a problem. So uh, short story here, if you're an American citizen living in Canada and you have a Canadian corporation, pay attention to this. Call up your tax advisor, your financial guy, whoever, and say, hey, what's, what's the deal here? And just stay on top of this because there's going to be some... Uh, uh, compliance issues, American side, not Canadian side. There's no issues there. This is just going to affect uh, specifically U.S. Uh, U.S. citizens in Canada. Item number three, Quebec, the small business deduction increase, which is actually a really awkward way. I don't know why my notes were written this way. What's going on here is actually Quebec cut tax rates for small business in that province. So they're going from 4% down to 3.2%. Uh, combined, you're looking at about a 12.2% tax on uh, small business income there. Uh, interesting, just sidebar, fun fact, Saskatchewan did a similar thing uh, a month or so ago. They have 0% on uh, small businesses in, uh, in Saskatchewan right now. So seems to be a, a thing across the, the country. The small business rates are being messed with, uh, usually dropped to sort of in, encourage uh, local entrepreneurship, things like that. Uh, last item on my list here, last week before the Easter long weekend, CRA released a before you call tip list, at least that's what I'm calling it. Uh, it, was, it was supposed to be a list that um, things you're supposed to do before you start calling those uh, the CRA offices and uh, contained brilliant tips like check Canada.ca first or 
check wait times. <laughs> I think CRA was trying to be helpful here. Uh, sometimes, I, I just like to say sometimes it is better to just quietly do your job and keep your mouth shut. I think they're trying to be helpful, but a lot of the stuff is just, as we say, it's, it's common sense, it's like, well, obviously, and it doesn't address the problem that there are a whole pile of taxpayers trying to get through with complicated questions to CRA, and CRA can't handle the volume. Uh, telling people to check wait times before they call, uh, yeah, obviously, but you still need to address the taxpayers' problems, uh, questions, concerns, things like that. So, Anyway, I just, it was, I've got a link to it here. You can check it out. Maybe there's something helpful there for you. I don't know. But for me, I just had a chuckle and said, yeah, okay, what's new? Uh, moving on to the questions for this week. Uh, item number one here. This was an individual wrote in. I said, I'm uh, 11 years behind on corporate and personal income tax. The corporation makes about 20000 a year before expenses. Uh, really basic, um, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to attempt to do the taxes myself. I have, I have no money and no, uh, no other choice. I'm told this needs T4 or T5 and a due to shareholder and due to director corrections, but I need some help in this area. I've contacted a bunch of accountants and they've quoted me twenty to $30,000 to deal with this. I don't have that kind of money. I can't get it. Uh, I can't afford professional help, uh, which is why I'm, I'm trying to get some advice here. I don't, I don't think I need to cover anything else here. Basically, you've got a guy who hasn't filed corporate or personal taxes in 11 years and is now trying to, uh, to get compliant. So this is actually... Uh, just as an aside, this is why I started the podcast, because I understand there is a really big, uh, there, there's a lack of access, if you will, to, you know, just your, your average Joe finds himself in a spot where trying to comply with CRA and CRA's requirements, but there's not enough zeros in that person's bank account to, uh, to, to have that person's file matter to a lot of the, the tax firms out there. So while I can't, give specific tailored advice my hope with this with the podcast is just at least to give uh, listeners a starting point on on what to do in these situations so back to uh listeners question look don't feel badly it, it is what it is you just need to deal with it you're taking the first step to try to get compliant that's the main thing probably what i would do here is actually step back and consider do you actually have a corporation still meaning have you each year uh, filed your annual corporate renewal and paid your fee to the uh, provincial registry because my guess if you're not filing corporate returns personal returns i'm i'm gonna guess possibly you didn't file the annual renewal stuff in which case your business the corporation's been struck so all you would need to do is file whatever outstanding returns are from your, your last filing date to the date that the uh, corporation was struck. After that, you could probably get away with just filing personal T1. So your uh, it'll be self-employed income on the T2125. That would probably be the best way to handle this if that's the case. If not, if you've been diligently uh, filing your annual renewal while not diligently filing your taxes... Yeah, technically you're going to have 
11 years worth of T2s that need filing, whether there's any income on them or not. Uh, you, you know, you can see what you want to do there, maybe bonus it all out. I don't know. But you'll have 11 years of uh, T2s, um, 11 years of T1s. I don't know if there's GST returns involved, but there's possibly that. And then you also have T-slips. And then you get into the logistics issue of how the heck do you file 11 years worth of tax returns? I mean, the the tax forms have changed so much between then and now that, I mean, getting your hands on the paper forms to, uh, to file this stuff, a lot of it can't be e-filed, so you'll need to uh, paper file it. Uh, that, that could be logistically an issue. I mean, you could probably use the current forms and just date it correctly, but, uh, there's going to be some problems with that too. A lot of firms just full disclosure, there's a lot of risk on stuff like this. And especially with paper filing and compliance, there's, it's just, there's a lot of time and, uh, a lot of firms won't want to touch this stuff. So you're not, you're not incorrect to want to try to address this yourself. It might be your only option here. But there's definitely some uh, some logistics issues in terms of actually getting the, the forms in to file. Additionally, you might want to look at doing what's called the uh, uh, a voluntary disclosure program application. Uh, maybe release to uh, to CRA what what the situation is, see what they want to do going forward. It won't uh, it won't relieve you of any uh, back taxes or anything like that, but it might get you out of any uh, any interest or or things like that. Possibly, I. I'm not, I haven't really heard what the current status of the VDP program is. I know in the past they were a bit backwards and stopped offering uh, some relief. But again, I guess the point here is uh, it's another option you can look into to see how you get this resolved. Point is, if you want to file, you can uh, track down some paper forms, get your stuff in. Again, really check and see if you do have a corporation because that might simplify things quite a bit here if you can get away with just doing uh, personal personal filings. Moving on, question number two. Uh, individual says, I received a letter for tax installments for the first time in August of last year. I missed the letter because it was misplaced uh, by family. I was supposed to pay installments twice last year, uh, September and December. I didn't do that, so and I I just saw, just got this letter now. So what what do I do? Do I uh, do I just pay the installments right now, even though I haven't filed my tax return, or because it's so late in the year, do I just not do anything and wait until I file the taxes and and pay the balance then? Uh so yeah, basically what's happened here. I mean, it's 2021. You missed. The window to pay your 2020 installments for your your self-employed uh, income. So the way this works, if you owe over three thousand in in taxes or generate over three thousand dollars in taxes, CRA wants you to pay your installments for uh, for the upcoming year. It's it's generally a suggestion if you want to think of it that way. If you don't do it, you're not you know put in prison or anything like that. But it's what I call a suggestion with teeth. Is CRA will say, "Hey, can you please pay this amount based on what you owed us last year?" And if you don't, and you happen to owe taxes, then we will charge you interest and/or penalties on uh, on that amount. Generally, I mean, you've got to be. You got to have some huge swings to uh, to get a um, installment penalty, but generally there's going to be interest, and that rate right now is five percent on on whatever the balance is. So in uh, in this case, the the uh, 
listeners asking, you know, should I, should I pay it now? Should I pay it later? I just, my default answer when it comes to taxes, whether it's installments, whether it's balances payable, just pay it now if you can. Not so much to, to be in compliance or anything like that. I just call it the sleep at night factor is it's one less thing hanging over your head. Just pay it, get it done. Then when you get around to uh, uh, filing your taxes, you'll either have a, a balance due or you'll get a refund of whatever it was, whatever the excess was that you sent in. Either way, it's done, it's handled, your taxes are paid. You can worry about all the other stuff that's on your list. As a, as a business owner, the list is, it never ends, as you know. So just pay your taxes, it'll be dealt with, um, and you can move on to everything else. Last question here is about a joint venture, which is always interesting. The person writes in, I have a property that's owned with a JV partner. She put 20% down for the mortgage and uh, I run the investment side. We split everything 50-50. I need help understanding how the bookkeeping works. On her side, she is putting down the whole mortgage and relevant expenses, and she's saying that I should only be reporting my income from cash flow. Uh, because she's on title for the mortgage, she's saying that everything goes um, on on her side. Can you explain how this should be working, um, etc.? So just to back up here, I like to say a joint venture is a non-entity entity. It exists, but... It doesn't, uh, specifically for tax purposes. CRA doesn't, it, it's a non, it doesn't file taxes. It's a non-entity. Uh, from what the listener wrote in, the intent here is that you're 50-50 uh, venturers on, on everything. That's important. Now, I'm sure you have a JV agreement, right? Because when you do these things, have paperwork. CRA loves to review it, and if there is no paperwork, they just throw it out, call it a partnership, and then say that, hey, you didn't file six years worth of partnership returns. You owe back taxes, plus late filing, all this crap. So have a joint venture agreement that not only uh, lays out that, yes, this is a formal joint venture, but it also explains how to deal with things like income and whatever you know possible disagreements might come up as well. So saying that, if you're 50-50, you're 50-50 on everything. That's It doesn't matter who put up what or this and that. The entity makes income, it pays expenses, you get your 50%. The only difference here is that your co-venture uh, put up some, some cash for the mortgage for a down payment. So effectively, that is a, uh, I don't want to call it a due to shareholder account, because that's not the correct term. But functionally speaking, it might be the easiest way for someone to get their head around is basically it's a due to venture account. So that will need to be cleared first. If there's well, no, I shouldn't say that. Generally, in the JV agreement, it will say that uh, any amounts outstanding to ventures needs to be cleared first if the JV is wound wound up or there's payments made out to people. But uh, it's that's really the only difference between uh, yourself and the co-venture here is you're going to have a, a larger uh, due to venture account than, than you just strictly on the basis of they put up some, uh, some cash money. Now, in terms of uh, your comment here that you need to report cash flow, that's just awkward. And no, each of you needs to report 50-50 the income and expenses of the the operation. So 
what'll just fun fact here on the the corporate tax return because it said in here that uh, this this entity it's it's two two corporate uh, owners or, or co ventures on the uh, the schedule one twenty five you can actually file multiple schedule one twenty fives on a T two return so for my joint venture clients you'll typically see uh, schedule one twenty five for the corporation's individual expenses it's it's stuff that we'll just say uh, in in house upkeep has no relation to JV stuff it's separate. And then you'll see a separate Schedule 125 strictly for the uh, the JV uh, income and expenses, as opposed to a, a one line item that says you know net income from from joint venture. Uh, that's you can do that, but it I it, I don't know. It's it, it, I would say it's not as clean. I, I like to see that the the two Schedule 125s there. So the point is, when you're filing your stuff, you're not going to show just cash flow from from that operation. You'll be showing a full income statement showing your pickup of the portion of the uh, the joint venture uh, in income or loss. Uh, just a few other things here too, and because you asked about how to do bookkeeping. Uh, number one, you usually won't see any fixed asset stuff there. If you see a joint venture that has depreciation being taken, that's a problem. Um, usually, any any asset fixed asset stuff that's all done at the venture level. And it's going to depend on, on uh, the, the treatment of those assets, the depreciation, things like that. It's going to depend on what the individual venturer wants to do. You, typically with joint venture stuff, it is exclusively an uh, income and, uh, and loss uh, operation. Everything else, assets, things like that is dealt with at the, uh, the venturer level. Uh, also, uh, it, joint ventures don't have, unlike corporations or or individuals, they don't. Ha, joint ventures don't have a fiscal year because, of course, they're a non-entity. So there's no. You, you, usually, what you'll see done is the joint venture itself will file a courtesy year end, if you want to think of it that way. In the past, uh, people would just take the uh, the joint venture statements. Um, whether or not it matched their fiscal year or not, they would just take the joint venture uh, statements, pick up 50%, in this case, pick up 50% of that number and call it a day. Uh, in November of 2011, CRA killed that and said, no, 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 no. If you have a, an off year end, or rather a, a, a corporate, corporate or individual year end that doesn't match the JV's fiscal period, uh, you need to file stub period stuff that matches your uh, your filing period so to put it in uh, maybe a less awkward way if your corporation has a september 30th year end and the joint venture has a december 31st quote unquote year end you have to get information from the joint venture that matches the corporation's september 30th uh, filing period. You can't just shortcut it and grab the December stuff. CRA got rid of that a long time ago. You can't do that. You're technically offside. So make sure if you're involved in these types of investments, you're getting the correct reporting period information. It needs to match your own reporting period um, info. So I think that uh, addresses everything there. So we'll wrap things up for today. Like always, if you have any questions, send them to questions at canadiantaxpodcast.ca or find us on Twitter. This is Canadian Tax Podcast. Thanks for listening. This commentary is for general informational purposes only and deals with complicated and time-sensitive info that may not apply to your situation. Tax rules are always changing 
and this information may not be current. Tax is complicated. This information is not tax advice. Don't rely on this info to make tax decisions. Hire a professional to help you. For more info, see canadiantaxpodcast.ca slash disclaimer.